0: Well, folks, it's that time again. It's time to crawl into your storage and pull out your Christmas decorations. Oh, I think pulling out the Christmas decorations marks the official beginning of the Christmas season. Are you in the Christmas spirit yet? I hope so. You know, one of the things that helps get in the Christmas spirit is music, Christmas songs. You know, when we pull out our family decorations, we also pull out our music. And I'll be honest, the original album that makes me think of Christmas is Glenn Campbell. That's right. Glenn's dreamy voice has a way of getting me in the Christmas spirit every time. There's something powerful, is there not, about Christmas music? The mere sound of those songs just bring us back to the glory of Christmas, all the joy and the celebration that's there. Scientists have actually done study trying to figure out why are Christmas songs so powerful. And they've learned quite a bit, let me tell you. They've found that our brain chemistry, our, our brains are filled with neuron networks that store memories. And those memories are clustered together in, in regions of our brain. And some of those neural networks are Christmas memories. The the sounds, the, the smells, the songs, the people, the sights, all of them are kind of together. And when a Christmas song awakens or engages that neural network, all of those feelings come with it. And suddenly, we're transported in time back to Christmas. Christmas songs... They're an important part of the Christmas season. In this new series, Playlist Christmas, we're gonna study Christmas songs. You may ask yourself, how, how far back do Christmas songs go? Hundreds of years? Yeah, way back. In fact, Christmas songs go all the way back to the very first Christmas. 2,000 years ago, when Jesus Christ was born, four original Christmas songs were composed that year. One by a young girl, and one by an old man. One by a priest, another by angels. The lyrics to those four original Christmas songs are found in our Bible. Luke chapters 1 and 2 have the lyrics to those songs. And this new series is a study of those four songs. I'm so excited. Folks, I'm praying that the, the depth of the lyrics of these songs will be used by God in our souls to connect us with the true meaning of Christmas, maybe deeper than we've ever connected before. And with the help of these songs, my prayer is that this will be our best Christmas ever. Christmas, everybody. Welcome to the Compass Church. All of you who are visiting, we are so glad that you're here. We're honored by your decision to join us, and we pray that you find the service to be just a great blessing to your heart. You know, in this series, Playlist Christmas, again, we're going through these four songs, and the first of the four is Mary's song, Mary, the mother of Jesus wrote a song inspired by the Holy Spirit. She wrote a song that's called the Magnificat. That title, maybe you've heard that before, comes from the Latin translation of the song. In the Latin translation, uh, to magnify the Lord, you know, is expressed with the word Magnificat. And so I'm real excited to get into it with you. But before we do, I wanted to just share with you a story that'll kind of set the tone for us. Uh, A couple years ago, I was in the minivan with my whole family, headed to my daughter's uh, volleyball game on an afternoon, and I got a phone call from a friend. And so I answered, and he said, Jeff, I'm so glad I got you. He said, tonight we're going to the Bulls game. He said, I got uh, two tickets, and my company passed my way. And Uh, I want you to join me. And I said, oh, man, that would be so fun, but I'm in the car going to my kid's volleyball game. I'm going to have to take a pass. And he goes, whoa, 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 before you say no, you need to know before you say no. He said, Jeff, these are the best seats in the house. I said, well, exactly, what do you mean by best seats in the house? He goes, have you ever sat on the floor with your toes touching the court sideline? I'm like, no. He goes, not only that, he said, there are only four seats next to the bull's bench. He goes, yeah, we're talking those four seats. He said, Jeff, this is an unbelievable once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. I said, hey, you know, I'm going to talk to my wife and give you a call back real quick, okay? And I said, darling, and I did my, Jen, you know, she doesn't care if the seats are up closer in the back. She's not into basketball, so I'm speaking a language, you know, I just had to go spiritual and said, the Lord has called me (laughs) to the Bulls game. Obviously, it's God's will, and she eventually said, whatever, go to the game, you know, I arrived in the parking lot and met my friend, and this was the ticket. I had to keep it. He put this around my neck. I, I have never seen a ticket like this before. Have you? No, of course you're not. You're one of those <laughs> small people. You know, we uh important people. We... Can we zoom in on the price that's right here? Huh? <laughs> Regular season game. Can you believe that? I came walking into the United Center, you know, like this, and right away, someone saw us, rushed up, and said their name, and said, can I escort you to your seat? Never experienced that before, and I said, well, yes, you can. And so I followed them, and they brought me down this special tunnel that only us VIPs are allowed to go down, and brought us out onto the basketball court. Crossed over the court, you know, right over midcourt, and brought us to these seats right next to the players. I mean, these seats were so cushy. I remember the cush. My, my rear end was never so happy. I mean, it was like that much foam insulation. I sat down. This waiter comes up to me. And she says, Mr. Griffin, I'm here to serve you. I'd love to present our menu and ask if there's anything. I'm used to going and standing in line getting my hot dog. And, and I look to my buddy, and I'm like, what do we do about this? He goes, it's all on the company tonight, Jeff. Eat up. And I'm like, yeah. And so I start this, that, 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 you know. And they're bringing this to me throughout the game. It was unbelievable. And from that position, I could hear every bounce of the ball, every squeak of the tennis shoes, the grunts of the players. It was like I was part of the game. When they would inbound the pass, I had to kind of move my knees because their sweaty legs were right, which is an honor when you love them, you know. Uh, You know, I mentioned there were just like four seats together. This was me, my buddy, a young man who was part of the Reinsdorf family, owners of the Bulls. You know was sitting next to them? Scotty Pippen. I took a picture. I like, click, you know, and I tried to not let Scotty know I was shooting it. But it was like for a few hours, Scotty Pippen was my new best friend. And when the Bulls would do well, I'd go, Scotty, yeah, we'd high five. I mean, it was just a time of my life. My brother was watching... Uh, the game via TV, and he, he pulled out his phone and he took a picture of the TV screen. Uh, is he me over there? Huh? <laughs> that was awesome. <laughs> so, I'm here to tell you that not everybody gets treated the same at a Bulls game. There is a system of hierarchy that maybe you are not aware of. And so as one who, at least for a few hours, lived on the top, I'd like to tell you about it. We're going to use this ladder to illustrate what sociologists call the social stratification system of our society. It's true of our society. It's true of all societies. It was true of the biblical days as well. There's a way, a pecking order that is established where there are those who uh, discover that they are insignificant, due to their lack of physical beauty or career success or accomplishments or possessions. You know, they're just down there. But there are others who have a little more and others who are a a little better and some who have achieved quite a bit and others who possess a lot. And then you go all the way up to the VIPs of our society. And for two hours, three hours... I tasted what life was like up there. I was going to say up there, but the story goes on. Uh, so at halftime, I, I didn't know what to do with myself because that's usually when I go stand in line for my hot dog. And I've already got all the food, and she's back to see what else I want, you know. and I'm like, what do I do for halftime? And all of a sudden, Scotty Pippen got up and started walking across the court, and my buddy goes, let's follow Scotty. I'm like, all right. So, you know, just starting our way, and... Followed him into this tunnel around and into this room, this lounge with gourmet desserts, little cakes and chocolates and cookies and drinks being served and people hobnobbing. And I'm like, this is great. I got my plate, you know, and I'm putting it in. All of a sudden, this very muscle-bound security guard comes up to me and says, excuse me, sir, why are you here? And I said, well thank you for asking. I have a premium bench seat. And he said, sir, this is the players' family lounge. (laughs) He said, are you family of the players? I have a premium bench seat. And he said, get out. He said, buddy, you're trespassing. I could kick you out of the United Center altogether. So I was not up here. It turns out I was you know, probably here. The truth is we're all trying to figure out, are we not? Where are we on this system? Not only are we trying to figure out where we're at, most live with a belief that the goal of life is to climb the ladder and to get to a position of greater success and respect and honor. I don't know if that's the goal. You know, this song that Mary wrote, speaks of this ladder, of the social stratification system. It speaks of God's attitude toward this system. So let's read. I want to provide the context as we turn to the Word of God. Mary has found out by an angel that she is pregnant with God in human flesh. The Messiah is in her womb. Unbelievable. And she wants to talk to somebody about this miracle that has occurred, but she knows everybody's going to think she's crazy. There's one person who will understand, one she can talk to, and that is her relative, Elizabeth. And so she travels to Elizabeth's town and Elizabeth's house, and as she knocks on the door, she is greeted. A pregnant woman is greeted by another pregnant woman because Elizabeth, in her old age, has been miraculously bearing the child known as John the Baptist, the one who's come to prepare the way for Jesus. And so these two pregnant ladies look at each other. And Elizabeth says, oh my, the baby within me just did a cartwheel, or moved, kicked, I forget what the word is, but moved in response to the baby within you. And that's all Mary needed. That word of affirmation, and she just bursts out, standing there at the doorway, bursts out into song. Song that comes out of her heart of gratitude for this privilege. A song that comes by divine inspiration of the Holy Spirit moving her, giving her words. And we're going to study that song. Luke chapter 1, verse 46. Mary said, my soul glorifies the Lord. And my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations are going to call me blessed, for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. Wow. Mary is rejoicing in the Lord. Praising God because of what God has done. Let's look at the verse here. I want to point a few words here. Humble state. Let's start there. Mary is saying, you know, I am of humble state. And what does that mean? Well, she is low in the status system. In fact, she would be on the lowest rung imaginable. Mary comes from a people group, from a country that are being oppressed by a tyrant Empire called Rome. And so they're an oppressed people. Marries a woman in that people group. And back then women were not treasured as they ought to be. Not only that, she comes from a town called Nazareth, which was such a pitiful little town that people would make fun of people from Nazareth. And not only that, she's poor, she's a peasant girl. And so she is on the lowest that is possible. And she would have thought that God, when it comes to this unspeakable privilege of being the mother of the Messiah, would have gone to somebody important, you know, one of the VIPs. But she said, you came to me down there. Uh, This this word mindful, I love this. She's like, I can't believe you you were thoughtful of me. I kind of thought I was the type that you wouldn't give a second thought but I've come to discover that the God of the universe had thoughts churning about who we should pick, and the one he's been obsessing about is me. He thinks about me. Not only me, he's mindful of my humble state. He's, he's thinking about my situation. He knows the details of my challenges. Mary says, I just can't believe that the Lord has been thinking about me. And then he, she says, for the great things he's done for me. I mean, look at how God Almighty, King of the universe, is lavishing blessing and honor on someone down here. God, you are unlike our world. You know, the world falls all over themselves honoring and Googling over the important people and forgets the lowly. God's the exact opposite. God chose the least of these to give the greatest of honors you know the principle that's being expressed in Mary's song is what some theologians have called god's great reversal this characteristic of god where he loves to throw the ladder upside down to turn the system on its nose jesus expressed it in this way he said In the kingdom of God, the last will be first and the first will be last. And you say, what does that mean? Well, Jesus largely was speaking of heaven. And he says, when we get to heaven, we'll be shocked at who is honored and celebrated as the true heroes, people who were overlooked and forgotten in the shadows will be brought to the spotlight in heaven. And those who, you know, we thought were such great stuff will come to find out in heaven, they're not all that. In heaven, we will see the great reversal in full display. But Mary's song reminds us that that great reversal is not just a heaven thing. It's an earth thing too. God expresses the great reversal principle in part here in this life and in full in heaven. And you say, how does it look here in this life? Well, Mary's song goes on to express three ways that God demonstrates the great reversal in this life. And so let's continue reading. Reading now verses 50 and 51. Mary's song continues. His mercy, God's mercy, extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his army, and he has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. These two verses speak of two different, very different people types. One of them is those who fear him, and the other is those who are proud. Those two people are impressed very differently. The proud are impressed with whom? Themselves. They're like, wow, am I amazing. You know, and those who fear him are impressed with him. God. There are those who have their knees knocking in awe and trembling at the greatness and majesty of Almighty God. And there are those who are just so impressed with themselves. And one of the things you should know is that every principle that uh, Mary teaches, her son taught. So these great reversion, reversals in this song are also expressed by Jesus in his teaching ministry. In this one, Matthew 23, Jesus used these terms. He said, those who exalt themselves will be humbled. And those who are humble, Jesus said, will be exalted. And that's the terms, I mean, use Jesus' terms to express this. Here are the humble, those who tremble before God. They will be recipients of God's mercy. He will exalt and bless those people. And those who are exalted, who think they're hot stuff, that is the proud. What happens to them? It says God's mighty arm, that's a symbol of God's strength, will scatter them. Scattering is probably a military imagery. You know, when an army was defeated, that defeated foe would scatter. They'd all run, humiliated and scared in every direction. And so God is saying, I'll tell you what I do. If you're full of yourself, if you think you're all exalted, just beware, I oppose the proud. Boom, I have a way, even in this life, of bringing down those who think they're great. And those who are truly humble, those who tremble in awe of me, God says, I will show them mercy and I will bless them and grace them. So what's the takeaway? Get humble. Man, I'll tell you, if we have high and lofty thoughts of ourselves, we are in trouble and we are in danger of being scattered by the Lord, brought down. But on the other point, if we grow to fear the Lord and tremble in awe of his greatness, if that is our true heart disposition, that lowly humility will be richly blessed. Let's move on to the next verse. Here's the second example, and that is in verse 52. It says, Mary says, He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. Uh, rulers are powerful. They are the ones who wield power. They sit on their thrones and they give commands and people do as they say. And the humble here, this word is being used in contrast to the rulers. And so this humbleness is in reference to their frailty, their weakness. And you know what the Lord says? I do a great reversal. Those who, you know, I'm so powerful, God says, I'll make you weak, I will take you down. And those who recognize how weak they are and turn to God in desperate need, God says, I will empower them. Jesus taught this also. In 2 Corinthians 12, Jesus spoke to the Apostle Paul's soul and said, Paul, I know you're weak, but I'm here to tell you that my strength is made perfect in your weakness. Paul says, I'm going to boast in my weakness then, and I'll just say, I'm weak, because when I'm weak, then I'm strong. And you say, well, that doesn't make sense. When you're weak, then you're strong. What Paul's getting at is this very thing. Jesus has taught me that if I recognize my weakness, he will empower me and give me strength. And so what's the takeaway of this? If you think you're able, if you think you're gifted, if you think you're amazing, look out, you are in danger. And the takeaway is get weak. And you say, get weak. Yeah, you know, actually, that's kind of the wrong way to say it. You already are weak. So realize you're weak. That's the point, is to realize, God, I don't have the strength. I don't have the ability necessary to accomplish the vision you have for my life. The goals in my family, I don't have what it takes to make those work. The goals in my career, I don't have what it takes to accomplish all that you have for me. The goals and how you want to use me at church and in my neighborhood, I'm weak, Lord. If you don't help me, I'm doomed. See, that's the weakness that we are to have. That's the posture that God can bless. And so we should get weak and realize just how unimpressive we are without the Lord. To think we're impressive is a dangerous, dangerous place. Third one. Third one is verse 53. Mary and her song continues. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. Isn't that interesting? Mary's song describes the poor as those who are hungry. And she says, You know what God does? God has this way of filling the hungry. And he has this way of working in the rich so that they're really empty. Isn't that interesting? And I think you've noticed the rich being empty. It boggles our minds sometimes. We read about these millionaires committing suicide and their emptiness. and we're, Sometimes we're like, how can that be, man? If you have everything, how can you be miserable? Well, it's because those things were never meant to satisfy the soul of mankind. And so what... Uh, What what do we do about this? If if we're needing to get poor in order to be filled, what's the point? Get poor. And you say, well, how do I get poor? Am I supposed to give everything away? No, maybe. I don't know. The Lord's going to call some of us to uh, give radically. But the key is Jesus taught on spiritual poverty, poor in spirit. And the essence there is someone who says, you know, I may have a lot of stuff, but my stuff doesn't matter to me. It's not my point of life. I'm not looking to that stuff to satisfy my soul. I know that my soul is empty apart from the filling of God. I desperately need God because only he satisfies. That's poor in spirit. You can be very rich, a lot of stuff, but not say that my stuff is just not it's all passing. I see that it's but dust. What I long for is the face of God, friendship with him. That's what my soul was made to be satisfied in. And so it doesn't matter how much money we've got, we can become poor. And that is detached from things and saying, I crave, you know, Jesus in the Beatitudes, Matthew 5, he taught this very thing. He said, the hungry Blessed are the hungry, those who hunger, those who thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. There's the great reversal. Again, Jesus said, those who yearn for God will be filled. And so the question is, where are you? Are you rich? Are you poor? Get poor. Say, God, apart from you, my soul is a desert. You are the only hope I've got for fullness and satisfaction of soul. Can we do the takeaway here? The the big takeaway is that we're climbing the wrong direction on the ladder. Uh, Maybe you're living this principle and you're, you're heading the right way, but the right way is down. We should be saying, you know, the whole world's trying to climb up. Excuse me, I'm coming down. You know, this is a little awkward. Excuse me, excuse me. Because I want to get to a place where I am humble, where I'm not impressed with myself, where I am in awe of God. But I, really, I'm a sinner and kind of ugly compared to the greatness of God. I want to get to a place where I'm weak, where I'm painfully aware of my desperate need of the Lord's help. I want to get to a place where I'm poor, where I recognize that apart from the Lord, I have nothing that satisfies the soul. I want to get down because when I get down, he lifts me up. Do you see that? So the first takeaway is to go down the ladder and pursue the lower rung because as Mary knows, this is precisely the disposition and the heart that God is looking for and blesses greatly. Second takeaway that I just point to is don't evaluate the significance of people based on the system of the world. Evaluate the importance of the people around you based on who they are in God's eyes. You know, sometimes we fall and we treat important people in the world's eyes with honor and respect, and the less important we ignore. No, God doesn't operate that way, and neither should his people. I was with my extended family celebrating Thanksgiving, and I have two nieces with Down syndrome. And as I was with them, this principle comes to mind, as it often does with them. And I thought, though they are viewed by the world, most of the world, as insignificant, I can't wait till I get to heaven and see them in exalted positions of great kingdom responsibility, honored as heroes, I hope they remember their Uncle Jeff on that day. And it's my chance to treat them with honor today because I know how valuable they are in the Lord's eyes. One more thing in that takeaway, and that is this. When it comes to determining your own value, don't let the Lord, the world speak into that. Don't don't determine how important you are by how high you are on the ladder, because that just doesn't matter. What the world thinks of you doesn't matter. What matters is what God thinks of you. And if you're descending the ladder, if you're becoming poor in spirit and weak and humble, you got to know you are going to be lifted high, and the Lord you know, his heart goes out to such as you. Uh, I'll I'll close with a picture that my son illustrated this point so well, just last week. After church last weekend, I was out in the lobby talking with folks and my son, you know, he he runs around the church like he owns the place. And he comes tearing down the Lobby, and he's got a bag of Doritos. And I go, Whoa, 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 where'd you get the Doritos? He says, Dad, I asked and they gave them to me. And I said, Tell me more about this, Jake. And he says, Oh, it was great, Dad. I was running down this hall and I saw this room and there was a meeting going on. And they had lunch in the meeting. And he said, So I went in there and I asked them for a bag of Doritos. And I, I told them, I am Jake, the pastor's son. Now, I do not condone that behavior, all right, just for the record, and if my son comes into one of your meetings asking for food, tell him to bug off, all right, you have my permission. That said, in a weird sort of way, that is a beautiful picture of who we are, is it not? You know, I, I look at my son Jake, here's a picture, uh, uh, this we just took this week, by the way, and uh, Jake, you know, he could have a low self-esteem. He's in the world system, you know, little kids. What value do they bring, you know? He's only four feet tall and, I don't know, 58 pounds. And even among his peers, Jake's not soaring academically or athletically. Kind of set up for a low self-esteem, but <laughs> as you could tell, not a problem there. He is doing so well. You know Why? Because it's enough to him that he is adored and treasured by his dad and his mom and his grandparents (laughs) and his sisters. (laughs) And I got thinking about it, I go, this is our story. We may be low, but God, our heavenly father, has stooped down and picked us up and put us on his shoulders it is celebrating us and the world may scream you are terrible failure no count and all you got to do is say look where i'm at i'm on the shoulders of the king of kings he calls me his daughter his son i am treasured by the great i am Think what you want, say what you want, it's all good from up here. That's our story. That's not fantasy, that's fact. That's who we are to Almighty God. And that's enough. Would you pray with me? Lord, we we think about you choosing Mary, and all we want to say is good choice. We're so glad that you demonstrated in choosing Mary once again that you are the God of the great reversal. And like Mary, we love that about you, God. We celebrate you. We rejoice in you because you are so unlike our world. God, we love what you're like. Help us to not only love you for that, but help us to enter in and to be a chip off the old block and to be like you in that. Help us to see people like you see people. Please, God, open our eyes to the value of the people in our neighborhood and at our work. And help us to understand that we ride on your shoulders. Help us to have robust self-esteem, not because the world said so, but because you say so. We love you, Lord. Open our eyes to what Christmas really means about us and about you. In Jesus name we pray. Amen.